The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. It's hour two on a Tuesday, and we're talking college football. Chuck Oliver Show. Thank you again, Dan Matthews. He was in Hawaii last week, so I don't have to thank you for that. Uh, thank you, Dan Matthews, for hosting yesterday. Myself was out. And now I'm back and will be until next Thursday. Next Thursday. And I've talked about this, uh, actually, I guess you, you hear it every single day on the show. Next Thursday, going to be live at Harris Cherokee in Cherokee, North Carolina. Because of the massive setup that day on site and just the huge day that the first day of you know the big basketball tournament uh, is, especially live on site at Sportsbook, Dan is going to be in studio doing the show. And so I'll be back every day except that day. But feel free to join me uh, and the show and everything. And I'll call in. I'll be a guest that day. But uh, next Thursday, going to be live on site. But Dan will be doing the show from the studio. So, again, appreciate him stepping in yesterday. And then, again, what he's doing next Thursday. Dan, I hope you knew that. You're going to be in studio next Thursday. Yeah, I've been told. Uh, Coming up in about 10, Taylor Estes, 247, talking about Texas football starting spring. And I told you, folks, I asked a question last week. And Anwar was like, oh, Chuck, stop. Mm Mm-hmm. It is just spring chatter. I am well aware. That's all it is. Just spring chat. But a question I did not think I'd be asking about a sophomore returning starter at quarterback, specifically one who's a five-star in-state recruit from the state of Texas, starting at Texas, and when he was healthy and protected, he had a good year. My question that I really did not think I'd be asking about, again, he was a true freshman two years ago, redshirt freshman last year. He's a redshirt sophomore. When's he graduate? Like, with how many classes? Because he was a dual enrollee, I guess, to graduate high school. Because didn't he? He did that early, too, didn't he? So by age, he's a sophomore. By classification, he's a redshirt sophomore. And I'm wondering, when's he going to graduate? I am wondering if he's actually a little bit further behind because if you're doing dual enrollment, that is, I'm going to go ahead and start in college, and clearly anything I can pass in college should count as my high school credits. So I'm going to do all that. I'm wondering if they count as your full college credits. I don't know that. I never worked in the registrar's office. Maybe it's the bursar's office. I never figured out what they did. So Quinn Ewers, I've got no idea where he sits on the graduation scale. But the reason I'm asking is because even though he still had high school credits to sort of to to figure out at Ohio State, of all places, 
he had, quote, reclassified. And so to go to the NFL draft, you have to be three years after your high school class graduates. Um, So he would be eligible because his high school class got bumped up a year. So he'd be eligible to go to the NFL draft after this season. And that's kind of, I guess, by one timeline, by one of Arch's timelines, that's what is going to happen. That's the same thing Jake Garcia was thinking about Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. And he'll go to the NFL, and this is my time. Tyler Van Dyke's like, oh, my arm. I'm coming back for 2023. Jake Garcia, Missouri, here I come. So, I mean, the best laid plans. But Quinn Ewers could go to the draft after this season unless he wasn't the starter for Texas this season. As in, if Arch gets this job and Ewers, he's not, if it's week three of August, much less week three of the season, if Arch gets this job, Ewers realizes, I, I promise you, Ewers' plan is the same thing as Arch Manning's. Blow up in 2023, go to the NFL draft. If that does not happen, If Arch takes the job and Quinn Ewers looks around and goes, wait a minute, I didn't blow up. I didn't even start. I'm not going to the NFL against the backdrop of this. So I'm going to transfer, have one more go around. He would only have immediate 2024 eligibility if he graduated. Now, I was told that for Arch Manning, Malik Murphy is the goal right now. Get in front of Malik Murphy, who is another in-state kid, and he's four-star and was almost five. Uh, He's four-star kid. And Arch Manning has plenty on his plate to try to get ahead of Malik Murphy, much less a guy who has been – here's what I've – and by the way, I believe all of this. But I also believe that the head coach – and head coaches everywhere, not just Steve Sarkeesian – I believe the head coach is not motivated. Every head coach in history with, like, rare exceptions. Rare exceptions. When it came to quarterback, you had to win. You were going to – the best kid was going to play. There were almost never any exceptions. There's a lot of exceptions now. I'm trying to make kids happy. I'm trying to chase the affections of an 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old, maybe a 25-year-old. Stetson Bennett was 25 last year. Uh, so I'm chasing the affections of a kid. And at quarterback, there is no position where they want to be loved. More. They want to feel the love. So it's Arch Manning yelling at Jerry Maguire, show me the love. Arch Manning, Quinn Ewers, whoever Malik Murphy is. And I got to I don't know Malik Murphy. I've seen him. I don't know who. I don't know anything about him. I've known about Arch Manning four years. Steve Sarkeesian is going to try to make Arch Manning happy, even if Arch Manning, ability-wise, experience-wise, readiness-wise, every-wise, is behind Malik Murphy. Arch Manning's going to play before Malik Murphy does, because Sark ain't really that concerned if Malik Murphy wants to transfer. So any snaps for a backup, it's Arch Manning. 
And Arch Manning's not going to be. I don't care how talented he is. Quinn Ewers had a year with Ryan Day and then Steve Sarkeesian. And he played. That's not nothing. Quinn Ewers is 78 miles further down the road right now. The head coach wants Arch Manning to be happy. So if Arch gets, if somehow Arch gets the job, not handed to him, but he's way more ready and closer and so close enough, and, well, he's got four years left, and Quinn Ewers may only have one. Huh. If I play Quinn Ewers, I know he's going to leave. If you think what I'm saying is crazy, this is Steve Sarkeesian. Like, literally, they're in practice right now. Like, as we speak, they're on the practice field. All right, run it again. All right, I, we just had live audio. Get inside Steve Sarkeesian's mind. Between his ears. If I start Quinn Ewers and he is really good as a quarterback, that's supposed to be awesome, isn't it? I promise you, Hugh Freeze is thinking, if I start Robbie Ashford as a quarterback and he's really good, Hugh Freeze is like, ooh, what? And that solves everything. Steve Sarkeesian is thinking, if I play with Quinn Ewers and he's really good, he's leaving. And Arch Manning probably already has. That I, I'm not making that up, folks. That is part of the process. So, now Steve Sarkeesian is talking, and I read his comments yesterday. And, by the way, I put 2% importance on all this. I'm just saying this is a reflection of what he was asked and where his attention is. Steve Steve Sarkeesian said Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning are in a competition for the Texas quarterback job. They've had one practice. He said Monday, all positions are up for grabs. Hand shot up. Does that include quarterback? Says, I'm not worried about who's going to be on the cover of a magazine. I'm more focused on is each guy focusing, developing, all of this. It went through the whole list of stuff. And he said, so when I say every position, yeah. He says that he talked about the positive as viewers and Archibald. He talked about all of that stuff. And then he said, and every position is open. And he didn't talk about Malik Murphy. At least not in the clip I saw. And he talked about quarterbacks. A lot. And gave every disclaimer possible. So, we got that coming up. We got Taylor Estes coming up in about 10 minutes or so. And uh, we will get with Taylor in just a few. She was there. She knows all about it. And I asked him about Malik Murphy. I'm going to say, Taylor, tell us about Malik Murphy. What is Arch really staring at? There is a head coach that I've always been a big fan of when it comes to watching him coach and call plays and the sequence and the aggressiveness. Um, and I think the collectively, me and you and all of us, we declared him the best offensive mind in the game about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 12 years ago. Almost none of us have been paying attention to his current success, and I'm talking about Chip Kelly. He quietly got a two-year extension last Friday, which is fitting because Chip Kelly quietly has coached the Bruins into the program's best spot, their best overall position, probably since Terry Donahue was there. I mentioned earlier, if you're a person of a certain age, 
I don't know, if let's say you're approaching 50. Uh, man or lady. You Terry Donahue? You know who Terry Donahue is. I remember that name. If if I'm a, Again, I'm going to say 50 is about the cutoff, just like it's the Doug Barfield cutoff. Uh, if you don't remember anything more than the name, see, this is going to be the weird part. Go back. Go Wikipedia, Terry Donahue. Oh. UCLA was a player, like with an A, P- player at the national level almost every season. Now, you're going to say, well, they were 8-3 and three or 9-2, and two, and it was UCLA, and in the 70s and 80s, weren't quite, you didn't have to be, didn't have to be undefeated to be national champs. It didn't eliminate you. <laughs> like, I lost a game, so we're out. No. Didn't have to. So, UCLA, and then the reason I say that is because UCLA, many a time, would be having just cruising. You say, well, I say eight and three. Well, they lost to USC at the end, and then they lost their bowl game. So, Terry Donahue was a tremendous coach. And now, UCLA is in their best spot, I think, in probably 25 or 30 years. There's a minute with Bob Toledo. And... When we declared Chip Kelly the best offensive mind of the game, the quack attack, a lot of what Chip did. Now, here's the truth. There were good players, and they were good coaches, and they worked hard and were prepped and conditioned and had depth and had all of that. Folks, this is, this is how Chip Kelly has evolved. A lot of what he did at Oregon was fast, but just fast. Like, that that was the entire point of it. He's a better play caller now and designer, and maybe it's because over 10 years you're supposed to improve at, at whatever your job is. And also, as a coach, you steal from others. It's like music, steal. Uh, whatever. It's how everybody – UCLA is a very, very good place on the sidelines. And just in time, huge influx of Big Ten cash to begin paying a huge influx of Big Ten opponents – and for what it's worth, I believe the gin pop opinion about Chip as a person is kind of off. He's not mean, or I would say even unpleasant, I don't believe. I think he's just really private. And then I think he is kind of awkward maybe interacting with people, but that's different than I am. It's not him being a jerk. So Chip Kelly, he got his two-year extension. He and UCLA looked to be in a really, really good position with each other right now. We break, continue next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Oh, my gosh, Chuck, how are you going to talk college football year-round? Somebody asked me that in 2014 when we started this. In in the South, the phrase is, hush. Uh, so much going on in college football right now. Spring practice is part of it, but the NFL Combine as well, and... Um, just musings when watching the combine a colleague of mine who who's that i looked up and i was like oh that's texas's second best running back last year um there are other things going on in austin other than uh the quarterback battle but 
we probably don't know their names the way we do know the name Quinn Ewers and, and Arch Manning. But Texas, they've got some really big battles going on. And Roshan Johnson, I don't know, looks like an MMA fighter, and he ran like a four five forty. So, uh, And he wasn't their best running back. So, yeah, they've got some issues, Steve Sarkeesian. Let's welcome on right now managing editor, Horns247, Taylor Estes. How you doing today, Taylor? Hey, I'm doing well, Chuck. How are you? Doing good. Uh, can I ask you about Roshan Johnson a little bit? Because uh, it was weird. If we go back even like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, being a backup running back in college meant the NFL didn't even eyeball you. Now it's almost kind of preferred because, hey, he didn't take as many hits. Um, talk about Roshan at the next level. Yeah, you know, Roshan Johnson, I mean, I think if you just look at his body of work, um, you know, he he's a big body back that's really quick. And honestly, if he would have been at any other school – probably in the country, he probably would have been the starting running back. Um, but the thing with Roshan Johnson that a lot of people don't even see from an on-the-field standpoint is actually how impactful he is off the field. Um, I, when he got invited to the NFL Combine, I just had a feeling that he was going to blow away a lot of the NFL organizations that would meet with him and talk with him once they started kind of hearing him and his approach to the game. I mean, he is a pro's pro. He was the honestly one of the best leaders that Texas had on the team ever since Steve Sarkeesian took over. And um, it really started in 2021. Roshan was noticing a lot of issues with some uh, players in the locker room. He approached Steve Sarkeesian and said, hey, coach, like they need to hear this from a player, not a coach, that the way people are kind of going through things is not like going to lead to success. And Sark really was very, very happy that Roshan kind of stepped up and became the vocal leader in the Texas locker room. Um, especially in his first year, you know, when Sark was still trying to instill the culture um, that he wanted at Texas. So not only is Roshan a really, really solid uh, running back prospect, um, I think he'll be really good in the NFL, but what he is, what he can bring to a locker room is truly special too. Yeah, and it was kind of funny timing because he was like, and that guy didn't even start? And I was like, no, because, and then at that moment, Bijan came on. I was like, because that guy started, and he looked even more special. Um, well, let's talk about who the uh, first-team reps are going to right now. Not everybody's available. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, the guy that everyone probably is assuming is going to be the the like lead running back for Texas this year is Jonathan Brooks. Um, he actually, right after the Alamo Bowl, had – uh, hernia surgery. He actually played through it all season long, but didn't want to miss any time this season or this past season. So he had surgery to repair his sports hernia. So he is um, limited. I'm not really sure exactly what his timeline or, you know, to return, but Texas really does have a lot of talent at running back. Um, Jaden Blue, who uh, was a true freshman last year, he was a really highly touted recruit coming out of high school. Um, he never really even got an opportunity to show what he can be, but um, he's a guy that I would say with Jonathan Brooks kind of out, he's probably the, the you know, top of the depth chart, quote unquote, right now in spring football. But also Texas added a five-star running back, Cedric Baxter. Um, and he's an early enrollee. He is on campus. And from everything, you know, I talked to his coach for our podcast um, a few weeks ago and just hearing just kind of the way that he prepares, he sounds like everything you would want a five-star running back to be, not just in you know, the talent, but the preparation to really be like the go-to guy. So I think Jaden Blue and um, Cedric Baxter really have the opportunity to, you know, make a case for themselves with Jonathan Burke's kind of sidelined. And, uh, you know, seeing Cedric Baxter, I mean, we, we were able to watch like 20 minutes of the first practice, yeah. but he looks, he looks the part. 
Um, but yeah, I think overall, you know, Texas really does have a lot of talent at the running back room. It's going to be really hard to obviously replace the production that Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson brought to Texas, but they definitely have a lot of young talent in that room too. So the big question uh, is, after Sark's comments, um, you know, Malik Murphy, wrong time to have an ankle injury, but uh, it lingers. Uh, is Arch Manning, you got, we got like two minutes here, so you can run a little bit with this, but is Arch Manning really in the running for this, or is that just true about every position in general? Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is Quinn Ewer's job. And I think, you know, everyone saw or heard, you know, what Steve Sarkeesian said about, you know, he's not going to hold Arch back. He doesn't want to do that. But that's the quote everyone's running with. What they didn't pay attention to is right after the fact, Sarkeesian talked about how Quinn Ewers has a year head start and a year of uh, experience both in the Texas offense and at the collegiate level. And Sark really spoke glowingly about Quinn Ewers, talked about, you know, his maturity from year one to year two. He was even asked about, you know, the, the famous haircut that he recently got. And he said, you know, a lot of times appearance becomes what people expectations are for you. And he said that he thought, you know, Quinn Ewers um, getting that haircut maybe showed a little bit of a sign of maturity, whether it was like, you know, intentional or not. But yeah, I would say Arch Manning, I mean, you know, I, we all knew this was going to happen, right? Like, we were kind of, like, talking about this as a staff during the offseason. We are like, we're going to have, like, you know, quarterback battle in Austin and stuff. And it's, like, kind of a weird line that we have to, you know, kind of walk because it's like, yeah, that's what leads the headlines. But really, it's not the case right now. No. Now, you know, if Arch Manning really does step up and um, push Quinn Ewers, I think that could be the best thing overall for Texas. I mean, having two, you know, quarterbacks competing is not necessarily a bad thing, but – all things right now, it is definitely Quinn Ewers' job. I think if Malik Murphy was healthy, he would have been taking the second team reps, though, too. Always appreciate it, Taylor. Thank you for your time on this Tuesday. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Chuck. All right, folks. That's it. Taylor Estes, uh, again, from 247. That's I said that it's it's hard to measure the advantage of being, what, uh, at least a year older, two years older as far as experience in college, and specifically – you know, he wasn't playing at Air Force or Navy the past two years. It's been with Ryan Day and Steve Sarkeesian. So that is almost certainly how this thing is going to turn out. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. 
And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. To the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. All right, Chuck Oliver Show on a Tuesday. Chuck, uh, just a little bit of technical difficulties for a second. We'll get him uh, dialed back up here in a few, but uh, already today on the show, we've had Dave Bartu, we've had Taylor Gaspar Estes, and right now let's go to the phone lines and let's talk with the guy that uh, actually, uh, you know, I think uh, everything is uh, dropping around us here. So uh, we'll get uh, Jeff Cameron on here in just a second as Florida State, uh, you know, trying to uh, get things going. And we heard earlier from Mike Norvell as uh, he was talking about uh, a group that for a long time had been a really strong group at Florida State, and that is the defensive line and saying, a thing that I think that uh, Florida State uh, fans have been hoping for for some time, and that is uh, that uh, the defensive line is a group that looks the way it's supposed to look. That was basically the line that, that uh, Mike Norvell had, and uh, now I believe we do have uh, Jeff Cameron. And, uh, Jeff, uh, I'm sure you probably heard uh, the same uh, sentiments from uh, Mike Norvell yesterday after practice. Let's start right there. I mean, how important is that for this Florida State group to not only build off the 10-3 and season they had last year, but also, too, to get back to what's made this program what they are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I, I was at practice yesterday, talked to Mike Norvell, had an opportunity to talk to him on Friday of last week as well as they did the lunch. And you can tell uh, that Mike feels like they're at the best place that they've been at since he's arrived, both from a roster standpoint, but also I think he believes that about the athletic department, uh, about the fundamentals that was you know built around where he's got them to and the depth of the roster and everybody pulling in the same direction. So, yeah, I, I think it's important for Florida State to back up last year's 10-3 and three season with another uh, outstanding season and take a step forward, in fact, because he's got the roster to do it. And let's actually go back to that because this time last year, Jeff, we were we were completely talking a different way about Mike Norvell. We were wondering if this time in 2023 he was going to be the head coach Let's just go back from then in terms of being able to exceed expectations last year to now, this time next year, let's make sure that we're not talking in a disappointed fashion about Mike Norvell. I mean, how does all that play out? Well, I think it's much to the relief of Florida State fans. I'll say this. It's interesting. I've been fortunate enough to cover college football for over 20 years, and sometimes you find that a guy's a good coach, but it may not work out at his current location. You know, maybe maybe something didn't happen early enough in his tenure to guarantee success long-term, and things begin to snowball, and you can't get out from under that weight. I think a lot of people covering this program upon Mike Norvell's arrival felt like the, what they were seeing, what they were witnessing on a day-to-day basis was the right formula to get Florida State back to, to its winning ways and its tradition. But because he also inherited a nightmare and then a pandemic and couldn't establish relationships throughout the state, you wondered if his recruiting would be good enough. Would they win enough games? Would all that negativity add up in a way, like you said, to where, you know, he never really got an opportunity to get out from under the weight of those failures that preceded him and then also didn't have the early success that most coaches need to get that extension. 
So last year was of the utmost importance. And going into last season, you know, Mike Norvell did not waver when he was asked about those questions. And, and, and he was asked those questions, I should say, you know, what are you expecting? He said, quote, unquote, at the ACC kickoff to me, success is coming. We are going to be good. This is built the right way. Well, obviously, he did have the success, and it's a good thing because people were beginning to get agitated, beginning to get worried he wasn't the guy. Now the expectation is that this is a team that can rival Clemson and get back atop the ACC and maybe even make a run at the college football playoff. But he doesn't seem to want to skirt those expectations. He admitted yesterday that, look, our, our standards inside the building are greater than that of anybody outside the building. So, uh, yeah, we expect to win championships. I, I'm glad that everybody else thinks we should too, but we've thought that all along. So, at least publicly, he's certainly not skirting that, you know, that, that expectation. Find him on Twitter. He is at Jay Cameron Show. He's Jeff Cameron and also, too, with Warchant.com. And, Jeff, you know, I talked about this a little bit yesterday, and it was about the AD. It was about uh, the Board of Trustees and, and their sentiments about the ACC were flat out the sentiment, and correct me if I'm wrong here, was this is not sustainable. Something has to change in Greensboro if Florida State is still going to be a member of the ACC. Do you take that as being kind of a flag to the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12 maybe even, that, hey, if you're coming to us with the right price, Florida State is open for business? Yes. Yeah, I do. I don't think they'll be here long term. I don't believe Florida State wants to be here. I think that privately that has been the case for the last couple of years. I think they have a few alliances within the conference that agree. And I think they realize that long-term the ACC is not going to be a viable conference as it pertains to playing big boy football, trying to compete for national championships and college football playoff appearances. Uh, you cannot surrender upwards of $30, $40, 50000000 million annually to those you seek to compete with and hope that you can still somehow be in the mix. You won't have the facilities. You won't have the money to draw the best coaches. Ultimately, losses will happen and begin to mount on the field and you'll fall uh, ever further behind. So I think Florida State, understanding that it's a complicated situation with the grant of rights, understanding that uh, it may take a couple of years, I think that that was a signal for Michael Alford and the Board of Trustees uh, that the time is nigh and Florida State needs to leave this conference. Do you think that there would be a dance partner with them, or is Florida State one of those that just says, hey, we don't care if anybody else comes with us, if indeed a move is coming, we're perfectly fine going by ourselves. I think they would be fine going by themselves, but I would say that Florida State has always kind of closely aligned itself uh, with Clemson. In a lot of ways, those two schools are very similar. They're football-centric. Uh, the fan bases are primarily passionate about football. The facilities are similar. Uh, they care to compete for championships. In fact, since Florida State's been in the ACC, the only national champions are Florida State and Clemson. Florida State has two since they've joined the league, three total, but two since they've joined the league, and um, or I should say three since they joined the league, and then in Clemson as well. So you, you look at it, it, it's those two programs seem to be closely aligned. They've also had a very similar um, if you if you talk to the ads off the record over the years, they've kind of always admitted to calling one another to gauge uh, whatever big moves they were about to make or if they were about to make statements publicly. So I wouldn't be surprised if that didn't happen already long before Michael Alford made his public statements and what he knew was being recorded live on YouTube um, during the Board of Trustees meeting. 
Again, he is Jeff Cameron of The Jeff Cameron Show. Find him on Twitter at jcameronshow uh, with uh, warchant.com. Also, too, if you're a golf fan, you probably hear him at SiriusXM PGA Tour Radio as well, co-host of uh, Beyond the Tips, uh, as uh, it is a uh, busy season for golf. It's never a uh, it's never a down season for golf in the state of Florida, right? I mean, that would be, you know, a, a probably uh, a misspeak to say it's a down season for golf in Florida. Yeah, and especially it gets good now because starting this weekend when you get the extra hour of daylight or two, you know, and you get a lot of mm-hmm. people post-work out there playing nine. So, yeah, golf season's in full swing. I always feel like once TPC's happening that everybody kind of returns to focus on golf because we're getting so much closer to Augusta and all the goodness that comes with the majors to follow. Oh, yeah. Now, that, that 5 o'clock, uh, you know, a little quick nine right there, <laughs> that's, that's always yeah. a uh, go-to. There's no doubt about it. All right, Jeff, a couple more, you know, because people come to us for college football. And, you know, I think that a lot of people have high expectations this year for Jordan Travis meeting those high expectations. What does that look like in 2023 uh, when it's all said and done for Jordan Travis? It's interesting. Last year was obviously a huge breakthrough for Jordan Travis going into the season. There were a lot of doubts about what he could become as a quarterback, in particular as a passer from the pocket. Everybody knew he could scramble. Everybody knew he was an electrifying athlete, that he could extend plays and make throws on the run. But they wanted to see him you know, in a more traditional setting, drop back and throw the ball in rhythm uh, and, and, and fit the ball in on obvious passing downs. And he did that. He took a huge step last year to the point where by season's end, if you look at the efficiency numbers of Jordan Travis, he was a top 10 quarterback in the country. And he's a guy that comes in now as a fringe Heisman candidate. Jordan yesterday spoke like a guy who's really, really comfortable entering his final year at Florida State. In fact, he was asked that question you know, this is your last first spring practice of uh, your career here at Florida State. He kind of smiled and realized how far he had come. And, you know, he's a transfer from Louisville. He had to wait his turn. Florida State experimented with McKenzie Milton and brought him in. He had a lot of doubters. And so I think Jordan has never been more confident because of all that he's overcome. His teammates love him. And I think for Jordan, uh, it's, it's really about the wins now. He's going to put up good numbers. He's got a supporting cast. This is the best offensive line that he will have played behind. They're loaded in the backfield. They finally have some balance at wide receiver. They brought in two transfers that are very athletic at tight end. So I think it feels like the offense is going to put up a lot of points and a lot of yardage. It will be about winning the ACC, simply put. Jordan Travis should play well if he's not hurt. Uh, They've got talent. It's can you finally get back to the top of the mountain and win the ACC? And obviously, if they win the ACC, Florida State will be in position to perhaps – make the college football playoff. Uh, you know, just uh, what about uh, as well, you know, Micah, Micah Pittman and, and, and what he can mean uh, to this offense? Yeah, Micah last year did something that I think surprised a lot of people. A lot of people understood that Micah would be a guy that would come in and upgrade the receiving core. Four State's receiving core two years ago, well, you could argue, was one of the worst in the ACC, if not the worst. And so they went into that transfer portal, and they brought in Johnny Wilson and Micah Pittman and others, and, and now you feel like there's real balance there. But what Micah did, despite being diminutive in stature, now he's a thick guy, but he's small, you kind of just thought, okay, slot receiver. Well, he blocked. He was really physical after the catch. He was a guy that would sacrifice his own numbers to let others succeed on all those tunnel screens and a lot of the stuff that Florida State did, um, you know, within seven yards of the line of scrimmage. Uh, he didn't complain about not getting a lot of balls thrown to him uh, for a stretch there. 
So Micah proved himself to be unselfish and physically tougher than people realize. So I think he brings a bit of an edge to that group that Florida State sorely needed. You know, that was an area, not just the catches down the field and, and, and the overall athleticism that had to be improved, but also blocking on the perimeter. And Mike Norbell's offense, it's paramount that they get that. And they got it last year from all of those receivers. And I think really Micah set the tone for that. Final one for you, Jeff. I mean, you've been around this Florida State program for some time. I mean, you've been part of off-seasons that were leading to highly anticipated seasons. Does this feel like amongst the fan base to have kind of that feel of, hey, much more than the ACC, we can do some special things this year? It's funny you ask that. I got asked that question last night. We did sort of a little town hall after the first spring practice and the Florida state fans were asking questions in the chat and they wanted to know, cause you're right. I've been fortunate. I was here in 2012. Hell I was here in 99. Uh, and, and so I, I, I remember those seasons and the practices and the years leading up to the national championship runs. Uh, I don't think it's, it's quite there. I, w- I would not tell you that I believe it's reasonable to expect that Florida state is going to play for a national championship. But I do think it's reasonable to believe that Florida State could win 10 wins, get to 10 wins again, and, and be in a position to win the conference. Uh, remember this year, they're playing Clemson in week four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the league did that because they kind of envisioned a rematch, no matter who wins or loses that game. And they didn't want that to be like so closely together uh, at the end of the season. So I think, you know, really you look for Florida State, if it's going to be a special season, two of their first four games, one against LSU, like it was a year ago, the other against Clemson, they've got to go one and one in those two games for it to be a special season. Then they've got the possibility of really doing something that would you know, maybe put them in the college football playoffs. If you lose both those games, probably not. Yeah, it's uh, definitely much better when uh, Florida State is a good football program. It looks like uh, that they are going to have a really good team this year. There's no doubt about it. Uh, looking forward to talking more with you, Jeff Cameron, down the road about it. Appreciate the time as always, buddy. Have a great show today, and uh, we'll catch up with you again here very soon. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. Be well, guys. I appreciate that. At Jay Cameron Show is how you find him on Twitter. Part of Warchant.com. And, uh, you know, uh, as he even mentioned right there, has been down in Tallahassee for some time. And, you know, it's the same with, with, with Florida State. I mean, you know, what is, is something that's been synonymous with Florida State? Even going back to the Bobby Bowden days. I mean, my God, it, it started with the Bobby Bowden days. It's outstanding athleticism, size, and just, you know, a football team that just will absolutely get after you. And all of a sudden, looks like that that team, at least offensively, is that team. But also, too, defensively as well. You can't take that away from them. And you lose a guy like Jamie Robinson that probably a couple of years ago would have meant really bad things for this Florida State team because they looked around and said, hmm, not enough depth to be able to, uh, you know, be able to carry on after that loss. But this is a team that looks like they're turning a corner in terms of not only sustainable depth on the field, but also a team that can put together some great results on the field as well in terms of wins. All right, coming up next, let's close out this Tuesday edition of the show. It's been an awesome one so far. Bar Tuesday, as always, right there with Jeff Cameron and then before him, Taylor Gaspar Estes. As we continue to roll on right here, it is the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today.
the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. I'm not worried about you know, who's going to be on the cover of what magazine next week. You know, I'm more focused on... Or is each guy focusing on what they need to do to develop to be the best player that they can be? It's like anything. Quinn has an entire year of a head start, you know. But but I don't want to hold Arch back. I want to see how far he can take this thing and what it can look like. Steve Sarkeesian. And even when you have two really highly recruited quarterbacks, and they duke it out through August, and you pick one. How many possessions was it Blake Barnett that started ahead of Jalen? And he was older. And so, I mean, you kind of, well, no, he's a true freshman. I don't think Nick Saban, I don't believe Nick Saban at Alabama had, well, he hadn't started a freshman quarterback, and Bama hadn't. Mm. Trying to remember. Third series, maybe? And then Jalen Hurts. So you had all that practice, and you're like, Blake Barnett. And you got into the game, you're like, all right, this other guy now. I don't know. Sometimes freshmen are special. Sometimes, even at a program like Alabama, freshmen is super special. So that's Steve Sarkeesian with full quotes. And there are times when I can read <laughs> I can read words on a page. Earlier in the show, I was talking about Steve Sarkeesian said this, and then Taylor Estes came on. Steve Sarkeesian said this, and then we heard Steve Sarkeesian speak. There's a big difference sometimes when you actually hear the person's words versus just a And then the defendant said, quote, I shot the clerk. All right, that'll wind up two people in jail. When you hear him say, I shot the... Okay, just the words on a page, it, uh, you can quote somebody, and it really can come out differently. So uh, that was Steve Sarkeesian, and you actually got to hear him, and you got to hear more than just, the competition is open. He said all competitions are open, and I don't want to limit Arch by saying, no, son, you can't be the starter this year. Go out and take something. Be Try to be great. And almost certainly Arch is going to finish second or third. But try to be great. I don't want to limit him. That's all Steve Sarkeesian was saying. Dan, how's your Tuesday? Uh, I mean, so far, so good. I mean, you know, it's a chance to be able to catch up with two programs, at least one who last year took that step going forward in Florida State as opposed to Texas, where, you know, it's kind of weird to think about the, you know, expectations there in Austin. Remember a few years ago that Sam Ellinger said, seven wins this year. I think there are a lot of Texas fans that if you had told them before the season, they would have taken that and almost to a man, woman and child, everybody there in Longhorn country or nation. I don't even know what they call themselves. If they call themselves anything other than Longhorns, they bristled and said, no, absolutely. That's not what we take because there was a time when 10 wins was an awful season. And it's one of those things that you can't necessarily fly before you can walk, maybe even crawl. And I'm going to use a basketball example here because I was on YouTube or uh, excuse me on Twitter the other day. And it was somebody who asked uh, for advice for a young NBA coach of Greg Popovich. And he said something. And at first I said, yeah, that's pretty decent advice. But then I immediately backed it up with, but that's also coming from a place where you were able to do that. 
And that is talking about you can't necessarily worry about progress because it's going to come when it comes. And I think that now in a lot of circles, not only in the NBA, it's college football, it's college basketball, it's wherever it is that you can't necessarily have the luxury of it coming when it comes because in that case right there, it's going to be, there's going to be enough impatient people. Who is impatient is incredibly important, and that's the case there in Austin, is that it not, it's not necessarily that people are impatient. Yes, everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to be in the college football playoff. Everybody wants to be able to, during the offseason, wear their gear proudly and say, man, I feel good about my college football program. They haven't had that for some time in Austin. I think if nothing else, though, kind of with people that I talk with there, that there is a little bit of a changing of the guard that finally influential enough people there within the Texas program, boosters, everything of the such, that they finally looked around after Tom Herman was let go and they said, we can't keep doing this. Like, there is going to be a shelf life to us necessarily being able to say, hey, we're Texas. We are going to be able to reach these expectations because then I think somebody in that room, influential enough, stood up and said, but when is that going to come if we continue to blow this thing up and try to rebuild it back up and go from there? Because that really had been the life they've been living. I think if nothing else, that there has been at least a, you know, I don't know if it's a, it's a narrative or whatever you want to necessarily call it, that has necessarily been said to Steve Sarkeesian of, hey, you just do your job. Everything else is going to take care of itself. And if that finally is the case there in Austin, I think they've finally gotten it right. I think they had it right with Tom Herman. They might have had it right with Charlie Strong. I think they had differing leadership above that. Maybe with, uh, who is it, Del Conte that they uh, got from TCU? I don't know, maybe they have stability and direction and it's all full steam ahead. It's a great program with a lot of assets. So uh, when they get it right, it's it's different in Austin. It's been a minute, and so I'm looking forward. That would be awesome if they are really back at the top and you got a, just another monster in the SEC. That's true. All right, wraps it up on a Tuesday. Dan, tremendous job. Thanks to all the guests. Uh, David on the ones and twos. Doing what he does, and everybody else listening, thank y'all. 22 hours, recharge the batteries, be back this time tomorrow with more college football conversation right here on Chuck Oliver Show. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive 
Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan Wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. 